Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to our big time talker podcast. We are brought to you by speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. In-person seminars and workshops are happening again. If you're a speaker, platform speaker, maybe you're a meeting planner, you can find one another on the message board at speakermatch.com. My old friend Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. joins us on the show today. Landau and I have had the opportunity to work together, travel the world together over 10 years. But the one thing we don't get to do is to actually have long conversations that don't have to do with work. So I'm actually excited to, to talk to my friend, Landau Eugene Murphy Jr., the season six winner of America's Got Talent and my buddy. Hey, man. Hey, what's going on, Bert? So I got to tell people that they'll be listening to this at, at different times and on different platforms on Spotify or Apple iTunes, wherever they get their podcast. But as we record this podcast, tomorrow is a really big day for you. So congratulations. Tell everybody what happens to you tomorrow. Well, I actually get to walk across the stage for my graduation. So I'm happy about it. That's three decades in the making. Oh, yeah, man. It took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I know when you started working on that at the beginning of the pandemic and you're like, hey, I got to do algebra. And I'm like, I'm, I'm out. I love you. I can't help you with the algebra anymore. So man, it's crazy. All the numbers and alphabet together was just weird. <laughs> I so, totally about that from high school. Like, I mean, you always remember algebra, but when you get down to doing it, it's like, dang, I can't even remember how, you know, the hype song for X. You know, it's just, it's crazy. So you got to learn, you got to learn the definitions of the, of the questions before you can even start to solve that for the answer. When I was a kid, it seemed like learning came easier. And as I've become an adult, I don't think my brain is as pliable as it was when I was a kid. So when you had to get back in and start studying again after whatever, 30 years, was it harder yeah. for you to kind of get into that brain expansion mode again? No, for me, it was the opposite. I think as I got older, I got more mature and wanting to learn it. I mean, when I was a kid, I was a daydreamer. So I was always dreaming. I would sit in the class and I would knew I would know the work that the teacher was talking about, but I just wasn't paying attention. I was busy looking out the window, you know, until he checked thinking out, about, thinking about riding my bike or playing with my GI Joes when I got home. It was just my mind was somewhere else. And so even when I got to high school, I loved sports, but I just wouldn't focus in class when I was after I would come from basketball practice or basketball class. I mean, I was thinking about the game. I wasn't thinking about what the teacher was talking about. I mean, I didn't care who discovered America. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Was I irrelevant to you at 10 years old. Yeah. Right, I just didn't care, you know? And so it seemed like things in my world history class or geography classes that I knew just based on common sense or just self-taught knowledge that because I watched a lot of documentaries and science channel and things like that. Like I knew about Pangea before my teacher was even like teaching it. And I remember he had like a big, uh, a big puzzle board of the whole world on this big table. And it was like thick blocks of wood that was shaped like each country and, you know, and everything like that. And and he would give us extra credit to actually put this thing together. Like if you didn't show it with your homework, you can put this puzzle together in a record time 
amount of time and he would give you credit for it. And and I would do it and I would always beat my record because I knew where everything went. And one day I did it really fast. And he was like, oh, Landau, smarty pants. And the whole class laughed at me. I was like, okay, if I want to be a smarty pants, I'd have put it together like this. And I put the whole thing together as Pangea. And I was like, this is called Pangea. The guy got so mad, he kicked me out of his class and flunked me. And so that's when school just took a turn for me. It was just like a lot of the teachers wasn't embracing that my mind was always outside of the box. And I think that's what teachers need to figure out today when it comes to students is how to tap into the things that they are really, really good at instead of just pushing them in the corner and telling them, no, shut up, we're not teaching that today. And that's that's what I kind of went through. I mean, I didn't get like, I had a great teacher by the name of Mr. Wills in like uh, the fifth, sixth grade at Harding Elementary in Detroit. and even in his class, I would daydream, but he started like putting in VHS and then letting us watch ge geography shows and, and you know, uh, science stuff. And then he would make us write an essay after, you know, and I was like the only one in class that can complete like a five page essay of what I just watched. And that's when he knew my potential. He was like, man, you're a good storyteller. You're good at, you know, observing things. You have a photographic memory, you know, and I could, I could say words that a lot of kids in the class didn't know how to say like when they seen photosynthesis they were like and i was right, like right. that's photosynthesis and he was like how did you know that i was like i mean look at the word i can see that's photosynthesis and just things like that that i was really good at he he grasped onto those and that's when i started getting like a's in science and i knew science and math was my great subject and then and then once i got to uh I guess like in 11th grade, I started going to this night school uh, at Henry Ford. And I had this wonderful teacher named Miss Smith who taught me algebra like that. Like in regular school, I just didn't get it. I guess it was just too many students in the class, too many distractions. But when I went to night school, she showed me algebra so easy. And then once I got it, it was like, this is so simple. I mean, I'm, I'm whistling while I'm doing my work. And I got an A plus in algebra, one, two, and I think even three, man. And, and that was just a moment where I, I realized that I wasn't, you know, as dumb as a lot of people thought I was at the time. Well, so, it's amazing, though. You talk about that. You talk about that one teacher, especially in elementary school. And, you know, here you are almost 40 years later. You still remember his name. Somebody like that, yeah. Mr. Wills, can, can totally impact and change the trajectory of your life. If they do yeah. it right, if they take just enough time to remember that. I mean, he did. He was he was more, he wasn't like a regular teacher. He was more like your dad away from home. This guy was like really strict, but he was also caring. He also cared about what you were going through in your, you know, home life. And if he saw you like really like falling off the trail, he would pull you to the side, talk to you like your dad, like sit down, son, let me tell you something. This ain't what it's like. These guys out here standing out in front of the school, they ain't gonna mount to nothing. You don't need to be out there. I mean, he was just that guy. I remember when like bullies used to come up to our school, like the older high school kids would come to, to our middle school, I guess to try to pick up girls or or just take people's shoes or starter jackets at the time. Right. This is like, you know, early 90s. So it was around that time when it was like 
taking people's coats, like late 80s, early 90s. And so they would come out there, and then this one guy was standing out in front of the school, and we all seen him, like, while we were sitting there in class, and, and Mr. Wills was like, look, this dude's up to no good. We all looking out the window. So after the school bell rings, we all go outside, and Mr. Wills was like, you don't need to be standing out here. You shouldn't be standing out here. And this guy was like, oh, man, whatever, whatever. Teach you going back into school. And he was like, okay, I'm telling tell you. And we go back. And then next thing you know, like some other big homies from the neighborhood showed up and like beat him up so bad, man. Split his lip, took his feelers off and threw him up on top of the school, took his starter coat. And Mr. Wills came out there and shook his head at the young guy and was like, I told you, you in the wrong neighborhood. You over here. You know, don't nobody know you over here. You standing out here, they they just see you as a threat. They're going to beat you up every time. And that guy got beat up, but that's just the way Mr. Wills was. He was just so down to earth, but so strict. He was just like that father that a lot of us didn't have in our house, you know, growing up in the inner city. Yeah, yeah. Landau Murphy is our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast. Um, when you walk across the stage tomorrow, to get your high school diploma after all these years, is that going to be nerve wracking to you? Do you think you'll be nervous? You'll be excited. What's going to be going on in your head when that happens tomorrow? Uh, just don't trip. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably just go ahead and moonwalk across the stage. You know what I'm saying? That's a proud moment for me. That's something that I've always wanted to achieve, man. And I, I've achieved a lot of things in my life as far as, you know, being a little kid all the way up into an adult. I'll, I've accumulated a lot of accolades, but I've just never got my high school diploma. And I always wonder why, because I knew I was smarter than Billy or right. you know, or John John. I was it was like, that thing you me. left on the table. That's that unfinished business, right? Yeah, yeah. So so that's a proud moment for me. It's something that I always wanted to do for my mom, because my mom didn't graduate high school. And I also wanted to do it for my kids that I have now. And especially for myself uh it's inspirational man i'm hopping in the car driving that seven hours i want to be there when you turn that tassel from left to right or right to left i always forget which one um so you have a great memory <laughs> you have a great memory of, of your childhood what is your very first memory what was the first thing you remember as a kid yeah oh uh, just having fun with my dad you know, my dad, uh, I remember going to Maloney's. It's called Save-A-Lot now. But right here down from my house, it was a store called Maloney's. And uh, I remember uh, me and my brother was living with my dad. We basically, like, because my, my mom and dad separated. So me and my brother, we wanted to live with my mom, with my dad. And my sisters lived with my mom. Okay. And so while we was living with my dad, he was, uh, he was a coal miner, and you know, but he was always get laid off or or get in trouble or something like that <laughs> and so a lot of times he couldn't even pay his bills so our water would be turned off or our electric would be turned off but he made it so exciting that we never even recognized it i didn't recognize it until i became an adult like man we used to actually cook pizzas on a grill like, why did you do that yeah we didn't have you know, we had gas or electricity you know what i'm saying and uh we would, have, we would go to our neighbor's house to fill up jugs of water, and then he would pour them all in the bathtub, or he would heat them up, you know, on the grill in the pot, and then pour them in the tub, and we would wash our face and wash up. 
but I never felt the pain of it because there was always a happy moment with him. You know, and I remember eating pizzas off a grill that tastes like lighter fluid. <laughs> 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 but he always made it exciting. And getting back to the Maloney stories, uh, one day he took us, we was walking off the hill and we walked the graveyard. You come down right there by Save a Lot now, but it used to be called Maloney's. Right. Walked in there, we were going to like the core alley to play with our friends and our cousins. And he was like, y'all need some new clothes. So we go in Maloney's. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he was like, try them pants on. I tried pants on. Yeah, try them shoes on. Try shoes on. Put the shirt on. Like it. Turn around. Walk that way. Walk back. You know, we doing like little modeling thing for him. He was like, all right. Take them old shoes and put them on the rack. Fold the pants up. Lay them right there. You know, and then we was looking. Me and my brother looking at him. We like puzzled. Like, what is he doing? And he was like, Follow me and keep walking. Don't look at nobody. So we walked right out of Maloney's with a whole new outfit on. I remember the shoes they were called zebras. Wow. Yeah, they was so, like so. Nice. So Landau Senior had you shoplifting. Yes. Yeah, he had me shoplifting at like I had to be like six, seven years old. But I remember the shoes they were called zebras. They looked like Nike Cortez, but they were called zebras. And I, I remember it was like. A, I love those shoes. I, I thought I could run as fast as, as Flash in those shoes. But, you know, I remember my dad, like, putting a whole outfit on me and walking me out of Malone. How, how old were you when you figured out, wait a minute, this may not have been, uh, you know, award-winning parenting that happened there? Oh, I, I think I realized it at that moment. I mean, I knew right from wrong at that time. So on the way out the door, you know, I'm hesitant. He like, keep walking, keep walking, you know? And we're like walking behind him like single files. And my dad, me, and then my little brother behind me. And we're walking. I'm looking at the cashier. And I think the cashier kind of knew. But I just think she didn't want to bust my dad because she knew he was down on his luck. Because she kind of gave us that look like. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to jail. But we made it out of there. I don't know if my dad, he might have went back and paid the lady. I don't know. I mean, because that's how things was back in the day in Logan. You can, like, get things and then, you know, they put it on a credit line or put it on your bill. We would go into, like, stores and be like, put it on my dad's bill. And they'd be like, all right, you can go get munchos and fruit punch drinks and Mountain Dews or anything, and, you know. That's right. Dad's bill. You have an account at the store. I did the same. And, and for folks who are listening now, Landau and I grew up in the same tiny little town in the coal fields of West Virginia. So – we have a lot in common. One thing that we don't have in common is the color of our skin. And that town back then, and, and I think still to this day, was like 95, 96% white. And I wonder if, if you remember at what point you realized, I don't look like the other kids and, and if that impacted things at all. Do you remember when that was? Uh, only when like certain kids would like try to be racist. Or just treat me different. But other than that, I didn't experience that until I got to Detroit. When so I got it was Detroit, not really a big thing growing up in the coal fields. I mean, I guess I was sheltered from it. I mean, I had cousins that got into fights with, you know, racist guys at football games growing up in Mud Fork and things like that. But at the time, I didn't play in Mud Fork. I was, I was on Logan Avenue or Lyman Terry Hill. Or, didn't get outside that neighborhood. 
Yeah, yeah. And I would hear the stories. I mean, my uncle was beat by, you know, police officers up on 22 Mile. You know what I'm saying? They beat him up and then pointed a gun at him and told him to run, but he didn't run, so they just drove off. But they was, I guess, planning on shooting him in the back at that time or whatever, because that's the type of things that they was doing back then. My uncle was also killed in Cora Alley, you know, for uh, talking to a, a, a white woman. You know what I'm saying? And this guy named Mr. Tony shot him in the back. You know, and my grandfather had to go over there and roll his son over. He's like, no, you shot my son in the back. And it was all over a white lady. So it sounds to me like, at least the way you remember it, it was there, but it was kind of under the surface more than it was when you were a kid and your parents split up and you moved to Detroit. Then it was all kind of out in the open. Yeah, when I got to Detroit, I seen how many black people were around me. And then I realized, you know, what I were, what I was. And then so it I was seen, not like 95% white in West Virginia. Up there, it was like 95% black in your neighborhood. I right? was 99.9% black. <laughs> wow. You one white kid in your neighborhood, you know, that went to your class or, or whatever. And, and you know, he was having a bad day every day. I mean, he was he was still treated fairly by the by the by the teachers that were you know white or teachers that was you know trying to impress his parents. You know what I'm saying or stuff like that. You can see the little you know the little things that was going on around you, but you know, uh, I mean, I just think uh, the racism part just it flew out of my head because I seen so many black on black crimes i've seen right. so many people jumping on other people for just being in the neighborhood you know and it wasn't it wasn't white people getting you know beating on black people for being in the neighborhood because we didn't go out to the suburbs at that time but we was in that one community but if another guy from around the corner was walking down your street like you know certain guys would just jump on them you know because i mean just an idle mind is just a terrible thing because right. when you don't have anything to do and you're sitting around and you see somebody walking like, oh, man, he think he cool. He think he fresh, man. They go over there and take his shoes. They take his belt. They take his starter jacket, his gold, you know, whatever. It was just kids that didn't have anything to do at the time, man. And, you know, that I think that's what it all boils down to. I don't think a lot of the racism stuff would even be happening. People just had stuff to do. You you can't really really be racist when you're busy. You know? sense. Yeah, what is it the old saying? Idle hands are the devil's playground, you know? Right. You just think if you're like a, a redneck hillbilly up in, you know, Mudfork or anywhere, you know, and, and you see a black car riding through, if you sit on the porch and you ain't got nothing to do and you just see the car, you're like, oh, what the hell is he doing over here? You know, that's what right. you want to say. You know what I'm saying? And vice versa. If you're, you know, a black guy, you're sitting on a, you know, a hood guy, you're sitting on the corner all day, and then you see somebody strange come through, you're going to focus your attention on that person. And if you can get everybody around you to rally the same thoughts you got, that's a bad situation for whoever that just came through there, you know what I mean? And that's what I kind of saw as a kid. I seen it was just, it was just everybody was bored. It was all about just trying to get into something, anything, you know? Landau Murphy is our guest today. My buddy who is uh, going to be spending a whole week at Bush Gardens this summer. 
performing at Bush Gardens Williamsburg, uh, July the 12th through the 17th. And you can get tickets at the Bush Gardens website. Find out more, LandauMurphyJR.com. Also headlining the return of the Sternwheel Regatta, the premier outdoor festival in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, Independence Day weekend, July 3rd, special brunch show with West Virginia Music Hall of Famer Bob Thompson. Um, let me ask you this, and I've been thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, you and I've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff together, but when people look at you from afar, they have one sort of uh, perception of you. Maybe they saw you on America's Got Talent. Maybe they've seen you in concert. Tell me something you think might surprise people about you that don't know you, that maybe they've only seen you on TV or seen you in concert. What would surprise someone about you? Uh, that I can box. <laughs> I think that's one of the things, you know, a lot of people don't realize that I, that I know how to box. You Lloyd know, Mayweather, he likes to box people that are not boxers. Maybe you've got an opportunity there. <laughs> oh, I'll probably pound Floyd's head. I'm too big for him. <laughs> yeah, you did that tough man thing uh, that was big in the coal fields back in yeah. the day. It, would you still put on boxing gloves and mix it up with somebody? Yeah, I would. It, it's uh, Boxing is like a big stress relief. I don't, I don't fight out of anger, though. I try to fight out of just, you know, just the sport of it, you know, and even when I got in a tough man, I, I was just, I was just like, let me go ahead and, you know, get in the ring and see if I can still do this. And, you know, and I held my own, you know, I got always to the semifinals and then I lost to a guy named uh, Larry Witt, like this tree climber guy. And it was, and I really didn't lose the fight. It was just, the crowd was more Larry's crowd. You know what I mean? I mean, I was like, I was, I think I was the only black guy in the contest at that time. And Larry Witt is like, he had this huge following because he had been in like four or five of the tough nans. And um, when I got in the ring, I remember looking out at my big brother because my big brother always told me to stand up to bullies and, and things like that. But I knew this guy wasn't a bully. It was just, here I am standing in this ring and my brother's watching. So I got to do this right. So while I'm watching, the bell rings, and I see my brother going, get him, get him. But I'm not even paying attention to Larry. <laughs> Uh-oh. And Larry's running across the ring like in the galloping, and he instead of punching me, he cheated. Now, in boxing, you're supposed to hit people flush. You can't hit them with your backhand. You can't hit them with it. Right. And then those... And the tough man, you have that that head guard on, but on the top it's it's open. And he realized, and that's where the trickery comes in. It's like I didn't know, you know, the trickery to boxing, but he was experienced and he knew this. So I guess his corner told him, like, man, you're gonna have to you have to ring this guy's bell if you're planning on beating him. So he ran across the ring and he swung an overhand hit like this. Oh, uh, the wrist on the top of the head. Hit me right in the top of the head. And I remember, like, seeing stars. But I'm so tall, and Larry is only about, I guess Larry had to be about five, eight. Oh, he's maybe. a lot shorter than you. Yeah, and I got long arms. You right. know what I'm saying? So right. 
when he hit me, my instinct was to keep him away from me so I could, you know, gather myself. So I just stuck my gloves out in front of him. And I remember him swinging like real wild. I could, I could hear it and I could see it, but it was all in slow motion. Like, <laughs> like a cartoon. I'm, I'm, I'm like out on my feet, but I, I could still see everything and I could see the crowd going. <laughs> you know, and I look down and I see the ring girl. This girl named Lori, she has like a cleft lip. She's from Logan. I remember I used to work with her at like Shoney's and other places. But she was the ring girl this year. And I remember like holding Larry off and looking her right in her face like, what just happened? And she was like, <laughs> uh -huh. and then it all just came back like and I was like oh I'm in a fight whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and I rushed him across the ring beat him up really good man and he tackled me the guy tackled me and so when he tackled me I stood up like what's going on like, and then the bell rang you know, second round, I'm sitting in the corner. This is how I knew it was like set up for me to lose. They wanted me to lose really, really bad to this guy. So I'm sitting in the corner. And I know from basketball or any time I ever boxed that when you're tired, you want to open your lungs up. Sure. So I'm sitting in the corner. I put my arms on the top of the ropes, like trying to get air in my lungs. And the ring guy kept pulling my hands down and sticking them in my lap. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm tired. He's like, no. I was like, put my hands down. He's like, no, put them in your lap. And then he like leaned. He grabbed my, uh, you know how you got the, the whole waist cut thing? Right. He stuck his hand down in there and grabbed it and stuck his knee in my gut. He was like leaning on me, trying to get me tired. He's trying to suck all the air out of me. Your own corner guy is against you. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not even making this up. I'm not exaggerating or anything. This is what he did. He leaned in with his knee and, like, pushed down on my stomach. I was like, you on my stomach. I was like, oh. And so I'm looking at him. I look him right in his eyes, and I could tell he was against me. And so the bell rings. I get up. I'm exhausted. Like, oh, but I had been training for, like, maybe two weeks with, like, a 10-pound dumbbells. He you know, and the gloves and and uh and the tough man is like 16 ounces or something like that. So yeah. you know they're pretty light compared to 10 pounds. You know, so I was boxing with 10 pounds, so I could box box, I could swing all day. And with these long arms, I could keep you away from me. You sure. know what I'm saying? Come through a whole lot of punch speed and hitting. So I was I had to click on that instinct real quick and say, man, I just got to keep him off me until I can catch my second win. So I just, every time he would step in, I would just hit him with a straight right. Bang, bang. And I'm supposed to fight, you know, uh, traditional, but I fight southpaw because I'm a right-hand guy. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to fight the other way, but right, right. some reason on my upbringing, I learned how to fight southpaw better. So it guards me, and I keep my hand up. So when he throw a punch, or if he's getting ready to throw a punch, as soon as I see him raise his hand up, I pop him in the nose. Bop, bop, bop. I just keep him off me. You know, and I bust his nose. And then, like, 
he got so frustrated when we would mix it up in like close, he would just grab my my hands and put them under his thing. You know, he would wrap my arms up and put them under his, put my gloves under, and then he would just do this. So yeah. it looks like he's doing a whole lot. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, let me go. So I'm pushing him off me. And when I pushed him off me, the reverend mad. He comes over and chokes me like this. The ref. He's like, you're going to stop all that push. I was like, he's holding my glove and you choking me. And then when he let me go, all that energy gone again. You know, so I'm in there and then the bell rang. Ding. I sit in the corner like, man, y'all trying to kill me. He's like, no, man, you're doing good. But then he still ran. I was like, get off me. Let me get some air. But by then, I done got my second win. So I'm standing. Now I'm in the ring with this dude. And I'm just... Pounding his face. Every time he would come in, I would hit him right in the face. Bow, bow, bow. And the next thing you know, man, the bell rings and I raised my hands. So I knew I had won. I had, I did most damage to him. He didn't. He, he hit me that one time, really, literally. It's a three round thing, right? Three rounds. Yeah, three rounds, one minute rounds. So I raised my hands and I'm standing in the ring, I'm looking at my brother like, yeah, yeah. And then the audience was like cheering, and they was like, and the winner, Larry Witt. And everybody's like, boo, I had won the crowd. <laughs> mad, man. And, and then the next thing you know, man, the, the tough man guy with the thick mustache and the big eyes, yeah. he's like a mafia dude with the tuxedo on, he comes in the ring to the interview. Larry is over there swamped over. He can't even like stand up. I'm standing there like ready for another fight. Like I, I can't wait to fight this again. And the guy was like, "I don't know what happened. I think he won that fight. I don't know what these judges were thinking." I was like, "Well, it's set up for him again. I mean, how the crowd is hilarious with." And you know, and and my corner man was like, "Don't any judges change subject?" You know what I'm saying? He wasn't letting me like explain what they were doing to me in the corner. So he was like, "I think you have a shot at winning this." Do you think you want to come back next year? I was like, definitely. I would definitely be back next year. And he was like, man, I think because you can really fight. I mean, you were really good out there. And I was just like, yeah, man. I, I mean, I love to do this. So we walk out of the ring. We go into the locker room. By this time, Larry had already beat me to the locker room. They interviewed me. Larry, like I said, he couldn't even stand up to interview. We go in the locker room. This is at uh, Logan... Fieldhouse. Okay. Yeah. We go into the locker room. They got Larry on a gurney. Oh, my. Two, two tampons in his nose. Strings hanging from him. They had ice packs on him, and he was laying there. And he's supposed to fight the champ now after fighting me. But he couldn't fight. So they just gave the guy the jacket. You know, and then and then when I walked up, I was like, man, how did I lose that fight? He was like, I don't know, man. He's like, you're a lot stronger than you look. And his wife was rubbing his head. I remember, I was like, I'm sorry, man. I hope I didn't hurt you. He was like, no, man, you're a good fighter. I don't know how I won that fight. He's like, I can't go back out there after this. I mean, he had two tampons in his nose, but they put tampons in his nose to stop the bleeding. And he had like ice packs on his on his. Head and his wife was rubbing his head, and he was on a gurney, he was on like a stretch. 
And I thought it was, you know, really, really hurt. So I, I felt sympathy for that. But at the same time, I was still amped up like, man, oh, I should have just, as I remember, like in the last round, when I'm popping him in the face, the, the crowd was going, knock him out, knock him out, knock him out. And I'm looking at the ref like, the dude can't stand up. You want me to keep hitting him? Like, I don't want to keep hitting him, you know? But I, just, I kept hitting him because he wasn't going to quit coming forward, you know? And so I just kept punching him in the nose to just let him know, like, stop, quit. You know? <laughs> but I was going, knock him out, knock him out. But my arms were like noodles. So I don't even think I could have knocked him out, even if I wanted to. Even if I wanted to, man. But But I beat that guy. And I got cheated out of it. So once that guy interviewed me, I seen Larry in the locker room and all that. And he was like, you should have won. I'm stronger than I look. I guess about a week later, the tough man company sent me letters to my house. And they kept asking me to come and fight in these contests. And I just told him, I was like, I'll never do it again because you guys, this thing is all rigged. And the guy just kept begging me and kept begging me. So in like, Yes, right after I won America's Got Talent in 2011, I guess 2012, they came back to the field house and I went. I went to the tough man and the guy pulls me up in the ring. Like this young man right here won America's Got Talent, but he could have so fight. I don't know how he got cheated in 2003, uh. but he, he should have won that too. Landau, you think you would ever lace him up again? I was like, you know, I'm good. I'm a singer now. <laughs> I love you know, it. I, I, do, I do for recreation, but but here's the thing, man. When you get in the ring, you have to understand ring savvy and ring, you know, secrets. Like that guy, that's that's the up that he had on me was that little secret. Because if I'd have known that, and if I wanted to cheat like that, I'd have punched him in the head. I mean, I'm much taller than him. If I'd have punched him on top of his head, I'd have knocked him out in the first round. You know, because like he really, this guy had me out on my feet, Bert. When he hit me with that punch, all I seen was starting. Everything went in slow motion, and I'm just standing out. But for some reason, my instincts told me to stick my arms out to just keep him away from me. And his arms are shorter, so he's swinging like, what it's like. I can see the red in his eyes, man, but I'm like, dazed, like. Don't hit me, please don't hit me. <laughs> Let me get myself back together. Once I did, you know, I gave him a run for his money. And like I said, after I had that fight with him, he couldn't even fight for the championship. And they gave a jacket to it, just a guy because he had made it to the last round. Landon Murphy is our guest today. We're talking about life in general and this summer in particular, Landau can do a lot of things. We just learned he can box. Uh, he's a pretty darn good artist, and he's actually partnering with the city of Charleston to do a, a big art exhibit event that is free to the public this Wednesday evening. If you're listening to the podcast uh, uh, live, you can check that out on Landau's website and his social media pages. Um, pretty good basketball player. Uh, you cut hair at one point. So yeah. now that you've, you've made it as a singer, as a performer and entertainer, if you could switch jobs with anyone, who would you switch jobs with? Or would you? I'll switch jobs with Chris Paul because he just gets on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, this guy, man. That guy, I don't think man. he could do your job, though. 
don't know, man. I wish he could because I would switch with him because he's just in the greatest position ever and he always blows it. How do you get to where he's at like, and blow it every time? I don't get it. I mean, the, other, the game that they played the other day, I, when I checked the score, it was the fourth quarter or the third quarter. It was the score was 69 to 27. Now, we should tell people, by the way, who don't know who Chris Paul is. Chris Paul is an NBA basketball player for the Phoenix Suns. There you go. He and, plays uh, with David Booker. I mean, they got a great squad, and they, they've had the best league, the best uh, team in the league, the best record in the NBA all season. I mean, these guys have been coasting through the whole league. And then they get to the game seven the other day with who are they playing? Uh, Dallas Mavericks, Donkage. And um, it was 67 to 20. It was, it was, it was 69 to 27 in the late third quarter. How? That's like that's like an NBA team playing a high, a high school. school. Yeah, that's right. I tweeted it out. I was like, the Phoenix Suns are looking like a high school basketball team out here right now. What's going on in NBA on TNT? I <laughs> it was just horrible. And then I was like, why don't they just swap it? I, like, if I was the owner of that team right at that moment, when I seen that score, I would have took all my starters out of the game. I said, you guys don't want to play. All my reserves, get up off the bench. All you in, we're swapping the whole thing out. I just swapped them out because when they put the bench in, the bench is hungry. They're still trying to play. They're still trying to fight. They're trying to bring that lead down, you know, that lead down. But and when they brought the bench in, they're hitting threes and threes. And that, they ended up making like, they ended up getting up to like 90 points by the end of the game. But it was such a blowout that, you know, the Mavericks was just playing around with them. But the bench brought the score back closer at least. They were that's hungry. what I would have done. I would have done that at the beginning. By halftime, I would have cleared my whole starting five out and put in my whole bench, my reserves. I would have put them all in. It's like, you guys don't want to play. We're going to watch them play. At least they want to play. 27? You look at guys, though, Landau, like Chris Paul or you or Floyd Mayweather, who we were teasing about earlier, guys that, that have it together and have had some success in their career, whatever that career is. You know, business guys in the same way. Um, and, and somebody, you know, listening right now to this podcast might go, you know, look, Landau, of course he won America's Got Talent. You know, listen to that voice. Of course he's released four albums and has written this book and all that. He has a lot of strengths. You know, he can play basketball really well. He's, you know, he's got, he can box, we learned. He can do all these things. But although you have strengths, all of those people, just like you, have weaknesses too. And I wonder when you look at, you know, your strengths versus weaknesses, what do you see as, as a couple of weaknesses of yours that, that you'd like to shore up? What, what are your weaknesses? Oh. I mean, I can name one for you while you're thinking about it. You're what? soft. You're very soft. You have a soft touch with people. And because of that, because you're a nice guy, people are tempted to take advantage of you because you're a nice guy. I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's just love. That's just passion for other people's feelings. I don't consider it a weakness. It's human it's, nature. It's your nature. Yeah, it's just the way I was brought up. I mean, I treat people the way I want to be treated. And then it's, I think the weakness is 
is there is them trying to take advantage take of advantage this week you know so I, you know i've always thought man you would give every dollar you had away to other people if you could yeah and then you'd wind up homeless you know and then that that doesn't serve anybody but all right so fair enough so weaknesses for you what what do you wish you could do better do differently uh, as far as my career is, I just think I need, I need more TV time. You got to think one moment on television catapulted my life into where it is right now. That's right. Um, it was 10. <laughs> or imagine if it was just five more. Right. You know, you have to be seen by the mass at once to, to gain that success. Otherwise it's just. Here a show, there a show, there a show, here a show. You making money, but no one really knows who you are. No one ever sees you. Like that's a lot of people that come up to me and they say, "Yeah, you want to work Scott Town?" I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "What are you doing now?" I'm like, "I'm traveling the world. You don't know, <laughs> you know." But they don't see you. So, like a lot of time when I'm doing Dubai or Shanghai, China or Germany, it's not televised. No right. one sees. But if 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 somebody could televise these things that I'm doing. Then your name gets bigger, you get bigger events, you get bigger pay. You pay a lot more taxes, but at least, you know what I'm saying? I get it. Things that come along with it. So I think in my career, that's my only weakness. Anything on uh, your personal life that you wish you did differently, did better, you could work on? Uh, spending more time with my, my, my older kids. That would probably be it. I mean, but uh, me and their mom didn't get along, so it was just like, it was either have them watch me argue with somebody that I'm supposed to be getting along with or just, you know, get out of the way. And I got out of the way, and I regret it because my kids grew up with their mom and their side of the family, and they didn't, they didn't grow up a lot with my side of the family, so... It's kind of like that that disconnection. Like when I say something to them, they they look at me like what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you don't see it. And they just they really don't see it. You know, but I noticed like even with my younger son Logan, who's here right now, he sees it, he understands it. And I give him the best of both of those worlds. You know, my my other kids were raised by their grandparents, which is like preachers and things like that. So they don't see you know, the gutter side of life that's right there in your face waiting for you to turn the corner, you know? And that's important. It's important to see it all. You have to see it all. You have to take the blinders off. And, you know, and so they go down, they, they end up in situations that they don't want to, they don't want to be in and they don't need to be in, but they didn't see it coming. So, I mean, I think that's what I love about the fact that my parents did split up. I don't, I hate that they split up, but them splitting up took me from here to where it's green. You know, it's pretty. There's no helicopters. There's no gun violence. There's no shootouts or car chases to Detroit City where I've seen all of that. You know, like the toughest thing I had seen before then was Dukes of Hazard. That was the car, the food chase that I saw. You know, but now this is reality. This is real life right here driving down my street. You know, gunshots coming out the back window. You know, and I learned to duck. I learned to, you know, keep my head down. I learned to know when the ghetto bird was circling. I learned, you know, when that neighbor over there was feeling bad and you didn't want to say hi to him because 
just saying hi to him could trigger him like that. You know what I'm saying? I knew when the two neighbors across the street from each other didn't get along because I could see it. I could smell it. It's in the summertime. It's in the air. I knew when, you know, when summertime came, I was like, I'm going to lose at least four of these friends. Four of these friends, at least two of them are going to be killed and the other two will probably be in prison before this summer is over. It's like you can feel it. You can smell it. It's in the air. And it helps you appreciate things, right? It helps you when, when you, yeah. you know, you see what's not there. It helps you appreciate it when it is there, you know? Exactly. So even coming back home to West Virginia, that's why I'm just like, I'll never leave this place, you know, unless, you know, the hood actually comes here. Right. You know, right. so it's just like, uh, I, I try to tell people here that we have to keep paradise here. You can't. You can't leave here and go to Hollywood and make paradise. It's already paradise as far as, you know, the small town mind is concerned. Yes. Yeah. So why not give the small town mind people here paradise here so they don't have to leave? You give them opportunities, give them jobs, you give them things. But but all the people that's growing up, they're just like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. And then they, they, they go and great, get a great job or, or make a, earn a great living. But they take the money to places where there's already money. There's already opportunities there. You know, so just keep the opportunities here. That's what I love about Logan County right now. Is like even the foreign guy that has came here and he's bought up all like all the little business down in Logan County. It's all booming again. You know, ever since uh I guess Mike Pearl passed away, Joe C passed away. It's like they had a hold on so many things around here because they own everything but you know they wasn't letting people have opportunities over here that wanted to do something but now that they've passed away the door has opened up because their family ain't holding on to it like they're like let's sell this let's sell this let's lease this let's let these people have this business and the town is blooming right now it's like it's really coming up and when you drive through Logan County down Strat Street right now you see it you see it and it, and it feels good. I mean, the opportunities are coming. They have they about to have a big factory down there from that Korean guy, or I think he's Chinese or Asian. But he's you know he he's he's doing a lot in this community right now. And you know the city council is is getting on board. And everything from uh Diane Barnett and everybody, they're all putting in their you know their chips in this in this big bowl that we call Logan County, and it's and it's looking wonderful. Now, one of the great things about you, man, is that you had the opportunity to leave West Virginia whenever you hit, and I'm sure we're encouraged to by a lot of folks. You decided to stay back there. Um, has that caused any challenges for you that, uh, that that you live there as opposed to living in New York or Los Angeles or Nashville, somewhere that's a little more tuned into the music business? No, because of technology. We got to thank Steve Jobs and Bill Gates for computers and phones and I mean, you got the world in the palm of your hand just with your Samsung or your iPhone. You don't have to go anywhere. You can work like my girlfriend works right in the next room. And she's, yeah. you know, she doesn't have to leave. She doesn't have to go anywhere. It's a beautiful thing. Almost $100,000 a year just sitting on a computer and, and, you know, going through emails and stuff like that. You don't have to go anywhere anymore. You can sit in your house right now in your pajamas and order a pizza, order groceries from Walmart, 
You can do all of that, man. It, it comes right to your doorstep. Amazon is big. You know, UPS, FedEx has always been there. It's just everything is like that now. You don't have to. I mean, my mom used to always say that. If you want to be somebody, you got to get out of here. But I just never believed that once technology started booming like it was. It's no longer that way. That's true. Why you got to think back when we was kids, what was Star Trek like? They didn't have to go nowhere, did they? That's right. (laughs) And here we are. We have it in our hands. That's exactly right. Landau Murphy is uh, is going to leave town for some tour dates this summer in and around the Mid-Atlantic, including a full week at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg. So come out and spend some time in Colonial Williamsburg and Bush Gardens and see Landau July 12th through the 17th. Um, I want to ask you before I let you jump, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, switching jobs and different careers, different things you might do or have done. Um I have now seen you perform literally hundreds of shows. And I wonder if in, in all the shows that you remember doing since winning America's got talent, is there a funniest show moment or is there a, a worst performance that you wish you could wipe out either one of those? I don't think it's ever been a worse performance on my part. Thank God. And, you know, <laughs> I, think, I thank God for, you know, giving me the, the gift. So I don't want to brag or anything like that. But, you know, you can get with certain musicians that just don't fit well with your with your program. Right. And as far as, a, you know, a funny show is, a, I remember when I when I first one of America got talent. Uh, I wanted to get my teeth fixed because when I went on that show, you remember I was chewing the gum, but that gum was actually the hole in my partial. Right. And so I was like, okay, I got this money. Let me go to the dentist and get my, my mouth fixed. Thanks to Gareed Dental in South Charleston. <laughs> my mouth. But uh, anyway, I, once they took the partial out, they made me a temporary tooth. And, uh, <laughs> and before a show, I would always drink hot tea with a uh, honey, in it, you know. That's for your throat. Yeah, but it melted the glue on the on the on the uh, temporary tooth, and the tooth fell out in the middle of a Christmas show. And it was <laughs> right on stage, and this one little teenage girl was right there in my mouth, like you know. And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm never gonna hit any of this." And I finished the show by singing with the microphone here. Holding but, it in know, front of your face. Yeah, I'm always doing something like this so she would always catch it. So I remember signing autographs. Mouth closed. Mouth closed, like, mm, mm. Did Did and you then, see the tooth, like, bounce on the stage? Oh, my gosh. It was so funny because my guitar player, Dale Roberts, actually saw it, too. And it, <laughs> when it came out, it was just like, and it was like, Ding. And I was like, okay. And I looked over at Dale. He was like, <laughs> I picked up my mic stand. You know, it's got the big circle thing on the bottom of it. I, I just set it on top of the two so we didn't kick it off stage. And I just kept the mic here. But I remember signing autographs after that show. And no one said anything about it. But that one little teenage girl. She came up to me and I was signing autographs. She was like, all I want for Christmas is one no fruit too. <laughs> and I was like, okay, y'all got me. I started smiling. I got this big old, 
you know, ministered tooth out of my mouth. It was just the most hilarious thing ever. But there's been a whole lot of shows like that. You know, and that's that's another thing that I was swap with is like being a comedian. I love comedy, man. Like Richard Pryor, George Carlin have always been like, you know, people that I love to watch, Bernie Mac. And so if I could be a comedian, I would actually, I would stick my head in that in that world also, you know. A lot of fun acting, in your future. I would, do, I would do a lot of acting if I could. You know, just things like that that, that you always wanted to do, man. A lot of creative pursuits. I know you're working on a new album with all new songs. Excited to hear that. Before I let you jump, you got to put your thinking cap on. Describe yourself in five words. What five words best describe Landau Eugene Murphy Jr.? Uh, Loving, caring, unique. Unique is good. Uh, talented. Fair enough. And giving. I think you <laughs> nailed it, my friend. Very good. <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging out today, buddy. Hey, no problem. I'm glad we're getting off right now because I'm only on five percent. Ah, he's running out of juice. Landau, Eugene Murphy Jr. SpeakerMatch.com. Thank you for sponsoring the show today. This is the Big Time Talker Podcast for Landau and Burke Allen. Thanks for being here. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.